0: The good news is safety is always possible no matter what our circumstances are, because safety comes from truth, the truth of who I am, the truth of who God is. And so as I get more grounded and recalibrate into that truth, then I carry safety with me wherever I go, no matter what my circumstances may be.
1: of the Faithful and True podcast. We are here today to continue the series that we started a couple of weeks ago on the subject of safety. And so uh, with our host, Dr. Greg Miller. Greg, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. And we have reached deep into the Faithful and True team to uh, solicit the <laughs> services of our very own Russ Smith, uh from our staff. And uh, Russ, thanks for joining us today.
2: My pleasure, Randy. All right. Well,
0: well, like Randy said, we've been doing a series on safety, and so today, um, Russ and I are going to be talking specifically um, for men who struggle with addiction, um, what false attempts of safety could look like, but then also what are the legitimate ways that we create safety? Um, Russ is a part of our team here at Faithful and True. He works with men, works with couples, leads groups, and so, Russ, we're very glad that you have joined us today. Yeah,
2: it's always fun. Thanks, great.
0: So to begin with, what if we just start with either from experiences you've had working with other men or your own stories, Um, when you were um, in the addiction, what were some of the attempts that you made to try to create safety or what are some of the stories that you know that other men have used?
2: Well, I you know, one of the things we talk about is leaning or leading with vulnerability. So I'll start by using my own story. Um, hiding was clearly, you mm-hmm. know, a, a number one thing. Um, we didn't do uh, modeling of conflict in our family. Um, we didn't do uh, modeling of, of vulnerability. Uh, and since I grew up in a church setting, uh, that was, um, you know, we didn't uh, model anything that would look bad in, in church. So, um, you know, early on, I, I learned pretty quickly that if I was going to stay out of trouble and feel safe, uh, that I would, you know, hide feelings. I would hide, um, uh, things that I'd done wrong. I got really good at lying, um, got really good at, uh, meeting my own needs in terms of the addiction and and secrecy and that type of thing.
0: Yeah. You know, one of the, in, in the addiction thinking, I think the way that we define safety is safety is whatever I do so that I won't get caught. Um, It's that system that I create to avoid what would be the consequences um, or the natural implications if someone were to know um, what was going on. And, you know, I, I would say that for the men who struggle with addiction, who come through the workshop, and maybe for those who are listening, the thing that you mentioned is the number one thing that we learn. We try to create safety by hiding and lying and the i like to use the language of we perceive we are safe or we perceive that we are unsafe because what's true is a lot of times we perceive that we are safe but we are actually unsafe or we perceive mm-hmm. that we are unsafe and we are actually safe and one of the things that creates that sense of perception are the experiences of the past um, so for a lot of men Growing up, maybe there was this sense of uh, invasion or abandonment. Um, things happened that shouldn't have happened, or there were needs that went unmet. And so how they begin to accommodate that, how they begin to adjust to that, began their system of creating safety. Does that
2: make sense? Of course. I, you know, One of the interesting things is that part of my former life as a physician, uh, I would ask kids uh, how they dealt with stress all the time. And what um, amazed me is, number one, that kids would have a, a ready answer for that down to the age of five. Uh, they they kind of knew what I meant by stress. And 99% of the responses were some form of uh, taking their mind away from their stress. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't dealing with their stress or talking about their stress. It was going in the room and listening to the radio, uh, obviously more recently social media, Video games, um, reading a book, going on a run uh, sometimes, but it was mostly, you know, pulling themselves away, isolating and trying to take their mind off of the stress, which obviously um, when they're when they're done taking their mind off it, the stress is
0: waiting for them
2: mm-hmm. there. Well,
0: You know, so if one of the ways that we try to create safety in a false attempt is through hiding and lying, then the second thing you're identifying is it's through avoiding where there is something that is creating chaos, there is something that is disruptive. And so we try to create safety by avoiding it and removing ourselves from it. And we can do this literally. I can leave the house if I'm in a stressful environment. I can do it creatively by using my imagination as I play, or I can do it through media, whether it's reading a book that I can escape into, playing a video game or watching tv or watching sports but that old pattern of when life gets difficult challenging overwhelming then i create a system of safety that's based upon me avoiding that which is creating the
2: chaos Mm -hmm. and that can come from a number of different ways i mean the end result of hiding or isolating or numbing uh Uh, can look the same, but the causes of it, the reasons why you do it can be different. For instance, if you're out on the playground every day and they choose teams and they always choose you last, uh, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to make yourself scarce when they choose teams. Um, If your parents are constantly fighting all the time, uh, you're going to go up to your closet, shut your room door and your closet door and uh, put your earbuds in and try and drown out the the sounds. Um, If you do poorly in school because you have a learning disability or ADD or some such thing, you're going to isolate from, from your studies. You're not going to want to address your studies. You're going to want to push those aside so you don't have to deal with the, the stress of not doing well. So all of these things make sense. It's kind of a, an automatic thing that you do as a human child. Um, and, uh, it, uh, isn't something that works for you as an adult generally.
0: Well, and, uh, One of the things that we often talk about is the reason that as, and again, at Faithful and True, the population that we deal with are men who struggle with sexual addiction, um, their wives and couples. So we use the masculine pronouns. um, But what we know is both men and women can struggle with sexual addiction. But for that little boy who's overwhelmed by life, escaping, retreating, um, hiding, those become just natural reactions to that. And the issue is not what they were doing was that they were alone in what they were doing and they didn't have support. They didn't have coaching. They didn't have a wise adult helping them to move towards the stress and being a a supportive presence for them. And in an earlier episode that we did, one of the ways that I talk about safety is safety is the absence of either a valid threat or a perceived threat. And so as soon as I have a sense that there's something that that is threatening me, then that is threatening my safety, then I find some sort of reaction. And as a child, my solutions are not necessarily going to be the best way, and they are the things that are available to me.
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, as kids, we don't have the wherewithal to instruct our parents what we need very well. Um, you know, I I am also a, a former parent and now grandparent. And, uh, you know, I, I can tell you that now that they're adults and they can, you know, talk more freely about what they remember about childhood, um, it's amazing how often they had needs. And I was not aware because they didn't want to talk about it for one reason or another. I think they did a better job than I did. Uh, but I know my parents would, would have no idea the what was going on with me because I wasn't I wasn't talking about it. So uh, parenting is a hard gig. And I think that we all, you know, get through childhood with some kind of wound. And, um, you know, sometimes those wounds result in addictions. And uh, and that's what we, we deal with today is trying to help people uh, identify what those wounds were. Because a lot of times uh, you're not aware of them. It's hard to identify some of them. Um, Save, some for some people safety is really obvious. We have men that come through here that have been physically abused, sexually abused, um, extreme neglect where they're left basically to to raise themselves. Uh, those those are I think a little easier to identify uh, where you were seeking or what you were seeking safety from. I think it's a little trickier for a lot of men when it's uh, the safety that they're feeling is a lack of. Uh, attention, you know, or a lack of emotional, uh, a place to have emotional vulnerability that that was never modeled to them, and so if you can't express your emotions, you can't express your needs. Uh, that's going to feel uh, intrinsically unsafe, um, and you're going to be uh, highly avoidant of any kind of potential vulnerability, um, and it can show up in all kinds of weird ways. I remember in when my church if anybody was up singing in front of the church, I would never make eye contact because I was so afraid they were going to make a mistake. Um, And that was, you know, directly from my own experience in in sports and, and, uh, you know, singing and playing piano and so forth that I I felt tremendous anxiety that if I made a mistake that it would uh, reflect on me as a person. That wasn't just a mistake, it was Uh, enhancing my shame, which is the other thing that we deal with. And I think a lot of men uh, have safety issues around their shame.
0: Mm. Well, in in that particular example, what happens is not only am I feeling my shame, I'm picking up or reading the shame of the other person, whether it exists. And I'm also Mm -hmm. starting to carry their anxiety. Um, Mm That idea that if they make a mistake, that will create anxiety for me. So even acknowledging that somebody was singing kept you from being able to be safe in that moment, anytime there was a performance that was going on. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that is true is we teach it faithful and true that we believe everybody is invaded and abandoned. Everybody in some way, um, something happens to them that should not have happened either in the home or out of the home or both. We believe everybody is abandoned. They have needs that go unmet and that can be in, in in the home or out of the home So all of us have this vulnerability and we have these experiences where we're not safe. And once coping and addiction opportunities enter into our life, we are vulnerable to choosing those. And one of the things that we see for a lot of the men that we work with is their addiction was actually an attempt to create safety. I often refer to porn and masturbation as the panic room. Um, There was a movie several years ago about a panic room. And the panic room is that place you go to when someone breaks into your house and it's self-contained. And the imagery is if I go there, I shut the door, I lock the door, I will be safe. Nobody can get to me. And eventually that's what the acting out behavior becomes. It's this false sense of safety. But in the moment when I'm looking at the, porno, uh, looking at the computer and I'm masturbating or I've gone to a strip club or whatever my acting out behavior is, I have this sense that in this moment I
2: am safe. Yeah. I think there's an element of taking your mind off things. I think that's part of it. I think part of it is that kind of sense of uh, being in this addiction zone, you know, that, that we've experienced where, when you're acting out, you don't feel like you're really in your real life. You're in this kind of parallel life and that feels more safe. Um, and I, you know, obviously it's, it's a lie. Um, and, uh, we, we know that when we come out of our, uh, after acting out, you know, that's when our shame kicks in because we realize that, um, it actually made things worse. You know, this thing that we did that creates some safety, uh, actually makes us feel more unsafe when we're done acting out and the cycle continues. So, um, I have, I have a lot of compassion for, uh, you know, those, those people, both men and women, uh, that look for ways to feel safe and that, that, tends to bind them up. And it can be something really simple. I remember uh, my, one of my roommates in medical school was an army guy. And uh, when we moved into the, an apartment together, uh, the three of us, um, he did not feel safe until that apartment was clean. Now, to me, me clean means you know vacuuming. And if we're really uh, serious, maybe a little dusting. <laughs> he was down on the, on the floor with a toothbrush uh cleaning between the the tiles he pulled out all the appliances I'd never seen anybody do that and cleaned uh behind all the refrigerator the stove all that stuff he got into the bathroom and and uh it it looked like a commercial it gleamed uh and that was normal for him he'd moved so many times in the military and that was a something that he did uh to make himself feel safe uh when he moved into a new place and so you know that's not as as um, obviously uh, hurtful as, as an addiction is, but it is something that, um, you know, he carried over into his adult life as a way to feel safe.
1: Is well, he what, available
2: on Thursdays? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd have to call him up and see. Yeah.
0: What, what's true, though, is anytime we have obsessive thinking or, be, uh, or an obsessive behavior, um, there is this element that we're trying to create safety And there is a a destructive, painful component to it, whether it's obvious or not, because Mm -hmm. the reality is I can clean that house or I can work in my yard. I can do those things that I think are going to create safety for me. And ultimately, maybe temporarily they do, but that sense of safety is elusive. Um, And Mm -hmm. so understanding these false attempts to create safety, these illusions of safety still leave me in my anxiety and my fear you know one Mm -hmm. of the the principles is this idea that uh we i believe that fantasies are an attempt to exit reality attempt to be rescued from something and be rescued to Mm -hmm. something so fantasies are another way that we try to create safety and whether it's a sports fantasy a professional fantasy a spiritual fantasy a relational fantasy uh financial fantasy or a sexual fantasy. I'm wanting this imagery, this fantasy to take me someplace else. And the premise is wherever else I go, I will be
2: safer than where I am now. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree. It's an interesting uh, pattern. And and the reason I brought up the cleaning is, is I think um, the the number one question we have from spouses is, is why, why are you doing mm-hmm. this? Because um, the addiction doesn't make any sense, and so you know, compulsive cleaning when you move into a new place is not, you know, harmful, but it gives you kind of an idea of what it's like. the The difference between cleaning because you like a clean place and cleaning out of compulsion to make you feel safe is anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, you feel like until it's clean, you're going to feel unsettled. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to not feel like you're at home. You can't relax. You know that's that's more of a compulsive type thing, and the same thing's true with addiction. Initially, uh, addiction is often an impulsive behavior where you're seeking pleasure, the part of your brain that that, uh, has a pleasurable response or a dopamine response. But that'll transition into compulsive activity where the part of your brain that you're actually addressing is your anxiety part of your brain. You're actually doing it to reduce your anxiety, not necessarily for the purpose of gaining pleasure. And that part can be pretty confusing. One one part I wanted to cover before I forget, and maybe the women already talked about this, but it's something that Susie and I have really been focusing on lately. And that's a, a really common pattern in, in men and women that are dealing with addiction, uh, or any relationship actually, is for one person to be the pursuer and one person to be the withdrawer. Mm-hmm. And the pursuer is often the spouse, and that was true in Susie, in my case, she was the pursuer, I was the withdrawer. And what is obvious is the pursuer can look like, you can see how hurtful that behavior can be, because the pursuer often is angry, uh, voice raised, you know, it's it's obvious that what they're doing is is kind of hard to deal with for the spouse. But I think what we're um, trying to um, acknowledge more and more with couples is the withdrawal is also causing a tremendous amount of pain. And in our view I, we're, we're learning that uh, we think the withdrawal actually causes more pain than the pursuer, even though it's less obvious. And I, th- I think that what it is, is you're, you're creating a aloneness when you're withdrawing, you know, the pursuer might be angry, but they're trying to make a connection. The withdrawer is withdrawing connection, uh, emotional connection, spiritual connection. And to be alone in a relationship is really harmful and hurtful. Mm -hmm. And it's something we're really trying to get guys to identify that their wife might seem scary when they're pursuing, but what you're doing is actually more hurtful by withdrawing
0: well and what's interesting is both of those are motivated by a desire to be safe um Mm -hmm. i am safe if you are with me would be the you know pursuer um and Mm -hmm. the withdrawal is i am safe when i am alone and this Mm -hmm. idea that when we are both trying to create safety but we do it from different approaches that's part of what creates the chaos in the relationship and what's interesting Mm -hmm. and you you've alluded to this with the cleaning of the the apartment the energy is different if I have a desire for a clean apartment. And so my energy is about desire versus I can only be safe if I have a clean apartment. That creates a very different energy because now it's about managing or medicating my anxiety. And as you identified, if my apartment's not clean then I can't be safe, therefore I'm going to be anxious. Whereas if this is about a desire, I like a clean apartment, that's my preference and i can be safe in an apartment that's not clean well with that let's talk a little bit about what does healthy safety look like in the context of recovery and that person that's trying to go from addiction as a way of creating safety to living in true safety
2: well the the good news is that it's possible uh the Mm. bad news is that it's hard (laughs) Yes, that it takes it takes time. And, uh, you know, so uh, I'll use myself as an example again. Um, You know, one of the things I had to learn is that when Susie was angry, um, that was not a threat to me. That was not something that she was doing to shame me. That was something that she was doing because she was hurt and she wanted connection and I was withdrawing. And I had to disconnect my reaction to anger because I never observed anger growing up. My, my folks are in their mid-80s. I've still never seen them fight uh, in, in front of me anyway. Um, so, you know, to, to marry into a family where they were better at acknowledging it when they were angry was uh, really intimidating to me. So I had to show up and be willing to accept the fact that people can be angry in general, they can be angry with me. And that doesn't mean they don't love me. Mm-hmm. And, well, and that was a very hard is, thing for me to do. Somebody can be angry with me and I can be safe. That would be the next step. Yeah. Which, you know, there, there's a, uh, uh everybody loves Raymond episode That's perfect with mm-hmm. this. His little tiny wife, uh, is, is angry with him and pushes him up against the, you know, he backs up against the bookshelf and, and after she's ranting on his behavior, she finally says, don't you realize what I really need right now is a hug? And uh, his response is, you mean when you're trying to kill me, you know, it's, <laughs> it's something like that. So I, I think all of us can identify with that idea that it doesn't look like what you need is a hug. It looks like what you need to do is bloodlet me. Um, and I think that uh, it takes real effort and real communication. Uh, to To be able to to stand there and accept um, being uncomfortable. Um, uncomfortable well, for, is something we'd...
0: Oh, for the person who has created safety through hiding and lying and image management, the transition then is to begin to believe I can be safe no matter what somebody's reaction is. So somebody can be angry at me and I can be safe somebody can withdraw from me and I can be safe. And that Mm -hmm. trying to uh, avoid consequences through hiding or trying to manage outcomes through some sort of deception, I have to begin to believe that no matter what their reaction is, even if they leave me, I can be Mm -hmm. safe because my safety isn't dependent upon them and their reaction. Mm -hmm. And for Mm -hmm. those of us who grew up in chaotic environments where the environment in some way was defining us,
2: it's difficult for us to begin to believe that. Yeah. I think the, the number one thing, or number one, I shouldn't number them, a thing that's helpful <laughs> is, uh, is that uh, uh, the idea that when our wives are, are happy or they're, they're, you know things are going well, that we feel like that's not the time to bring up something difficult. You know, and and that's a real change of, of pattern for us is that I, I come to Susie and it's easier for me to say, hey, uh, I, I have to own that yesterday when we had that conversation, I was defensive about it. Right. And so I'm, I'm leading with with owning, with, with, you know, talking about what's going on with me. And that's a lot easier to do when we're both calm in, in the midst of an argument. It's almost impossible. Uh, and so, uh, you know, practicing that idea of leading with bringing up things that, that are potential conflicts. I need to talk to you about, you know, the way that we're handling uh, child raising right now, the way that we're handling this discipline issue. It's, it, I don't feel like it's going well. I need to talk to you about that. Uh, for many guys in our program, that the idea of doing that is, is really scary. Um, well, and-, and, and part, yeah, go ahead. Well, and I would just want to highlight that that idea of
0: ownership, that one of the things that we see for individuals and also in coupleships and other relationships, one of the things that create safety is ownership. And ownership isn't just when I acknowledge something. Ownership is when I understand a plan to change and I implement that plan. So as the more I can own, take responsibility for myself and get out of that Blame shame pendulum—that's contributing and creating safety for myself and contributing safety for the other person.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the lies we have to deal with is the idea that we can control the or we're responsible for the other person's emotional state. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is if I do everything right, if I you know uh, behave correctly, then we'll have a happy home. Yeah, she'll be happy, um, and that's. Yeah. Yeah. We, we hate the phrase uh, Susie and I, uh, happy wife, happy happy life, life. happy wife. Yeah. Yeah. We hate that. We hate that. Uh, I I don't Mm -hmm. think that's true. And so, you know, another thing we practice is trying to be honest, uh, when we think that our wives might disagree with us, you know, and that's, that takes a lot of courage too. You know, when I, when I started and a lot of guys are like this, they'll, they'll not have any opinions And they they grew up knowing if I don't have opinions, then nobody can disagree with me. If I don't have opinions, there's no conflict. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, part of recovery involves being honest and having an opinion. And it's really hard for a lot of guys to, I mean, they literally don't think they have any opinions. But I think it's because they just have a lifetime of, uh, you know, deciding that whatever happens is fine with me. Well, again, that... The idea is, if I don't have
0: opinions, I can be safe. If right. I'm not seen, I can be safe. And what mm-hmm. we're encouraging men to do is to find their voice, to become the men that God created them to be, and to be safe in that. You know, mm-hmm. um, this this idea of safety is so foundational to who we are that recovery is um, dependent upon our ability to be safe within ourselves and the truth versus dependent upon somebody else. And the good news is safety is always possible, no matter what our circumstances are, because safety comes from truth, the truth of who I am, the truth of who God is. And so as I get more grounded and recalibrate into that truth, then I carry safety with me wherever I go,
2: no matter what my circumstances may be. I think that's really good, Greg, because I think the spiritual aspect of this is huge. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that part of recovery is reevaluating my relationship with God and reinterpreting what the scriptures say about God. And I remember one of the images that I can't even remember who brought it up. It could have been Mark. It could have been somebody else. I don't remember. But it was suggested to me that I do a visualizing exercise where I would be sitting on the dock. Uh, on a calm, serene lake, and Jesus was sitting next to me with his arm around me, not saying anything, just enjoying the the view. Uh, That idea of that picture was totally foreign to me. I I had no concept of that, and I had no concept of of what grace means. Um, Intellectually, I knew how to define it, but I had no concept of what it looked like to live in grace and and to live in grace is to live in a safe place uh, to live in a a works based uh mindset or a performance based mindset is is uh not safe right because right? at any minute you could fail and if you fail that means you're unsafe so I think this idea of of uh recalibrating my spiritual relationship with God is one that's uh not uh God looking for any mistake I'm gonna make uh it's god that's that loves me no, unconditionally, and within that love I'm able to uh live a full life and you know paradoxically in my mind at first was it actually allowed me to sin less you know, yes you know, and, you know I, I,
0: yeah living in the grace is an invitation to living in the truth, and it 's in the truth mm-hmm. that we are set free and yeah absolutely I think part of it is. Part of it is we embrace the reality of what it means that God is my refuge. You know, God Mm -hmm. is that safe place. And Mm -hmm. for so many people, this is so counterintuitive because the imagery of God was God was angry, vengeful, wrathful, and there was no imagery of safety. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it is about transforming my understanding that God is with me and for me and always Mm -hmm. moves towards me out of love. And it's in that space that we understand our true safety comes from who God is and who God created us to be.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, th- I, I think I, that I just, um, I- good. Oh, I was just going to say that's, that is a great. Uh, statement to wrap up on uh, as we love to live, leave our listeners with a real sense of hope. And I think you guys have done a a great job of that today uh, in uh, in discussing safety
0: for the men that we deal with. Uh, So, Russ, do you you have any closing
2: thoughts? Any closing thoughts, Uh, Russ? My closing thought would be uh, to feel safe is a requisite to feel content. And contentment comes from knowing uh, who God is and who I am in Christ, and uh, being able to relax in that grace. Uh, I would never—I never felt content my entire life, though I became a Christian when I was five. I never felt content until recovery, because I never lived in His grace and I never trusted God um, to the point where I could accept His His unconditional love. That's that would how how I would close. Okay, thanks. we
1: Go sit mm-hmm. on the dock and let him put his arm around you. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, we'd like to thank Russ for joining us today. As always, we uh, we really appreciate his insight and experience. Uh, he's a valued member of our team here at Faithful and True. We'd also like to thank you for listening or watching whichever version of our podcast you uh, uh, enjoyed today. We hope you enjoyed. And we hope that uh, this coming week for you will be a week that's filled with many blessings and great vision.